Listening to the Vince Quinn Show, weekend overnights on CBS Sports Radio. Folks, I'm struggling. Uh, it's been a good start to my Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're doing all right. Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. And, you know, we got a lot to get into. It's, it's fun, man, looking at the NBA playoffs and how everything's evolved. There was a rundown at first base this week, which was one of the silliest. <laughs> dumbest, greatest plays I've ever witnessed in my life. Uh, Tim Tebow is now going to become the most versatile weapon the NFL has ever seen. Like, there's just, wow. it's uh, It's been a couple of days, so there's a lot of things to get into, and we will certainly be doing that right here on CBS Sports Radio. So if you want to pop in, I'll just open up the phones right away. It's a holiday weekend, man. Like, let's relax. Let's have a good time. Let's hang out. So if you just want to get in, talk sports, again, especially with the NBA playoffs here to start, 855-212-4227. And what I want to get into here with the playoffs, now that we've had the opportunity to see a couple of different games, um, there's just a couple of things that were uh, are really dawning on me with how this is all starting to lay out. But also, first, we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios when you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life. Rocket Ken. So... Now that we've seen a couple of series, I mean, the heat Bucks series is over. It's done. They got swept, which credit to the Bucks. Credit to the Bucks. You know, like there is some speculation. Like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I was saying it myself a week ago because you saw the first game. And it was like, well, it's a really tight game. It's an OT. They asked for this. Like, what's going to happen? But, I mean, that series is over and done with. So now the Bucks get to rest a little bit. Um, we've seen, you know, three or four games in basically every series now. So at this stage, what's the trend? And you know what I've really picked up about these playoffs so far? That's been great for, for all of the best reasons for the NBA. It's, it's been phenomenal. It's young guys. It's young guys playing great basketball. And when you look around the league in, in some of these series, you look at some of the players that are really standing out. I mean, two nights ago, Jason Tatum, he put up 50 against the Nets. He put up 50. Like, how impressive is that? You know, like, that's a series where, let's be honest, the Celtics are roadkill. Like, they are just destined to be slaughtered in that series. It's an inevitability. They are going to lose. They're they're just undermanned. Brooklyn's incredibly talented. They have no business winning that series whatsoever. It's not going to happen. But... For Tatum to show up in a game like that where they're already down in the series and just go off. I mean, the sheer will and determination, the competitiveness of Jason Tatum in a series like that to go, yeah, I'm just going to do everything possible here and I'm going to fight. It it doesn't matter what the odds are. It doesn't matter if we have any chance whatsoever. I'm going to give you everything I got. And if you're a Boston fan, you got to love that. But if you're just somebody that likes the NBA to see a young guy showing that kind of level of competition is fantastic. And that's one of those things. When I look at the playoffs here, I go, this is what's great about this year so far. This is one of the best parts. 
Have you seen Luka Doncic? Because Luka is ridiculous. He's putting up 40 a night. He's played one playoff series before this. He's putting up 40 points a night. He's 22. Like, what were you doing at 22 years old? <laughs> I will never do something as impressive as what Luka is doing at 22 years old right now. I will never do something of that caliber in my life. It's not going to happen. Are you kidding me? What he's doing right now? And he's got legitimate guys defending him. You know, it's like you're looking at the Clippers and defense is going to be one of those things that they bring to the table. It's Kawhi Leonard. It's Paul George. It's Patrick Beverly. But he's finding the matchups. He's constantly attacking. And he's crushing it. He's been phenomenal. They're up to uh, two to one in that series with game four being tomorrow. But to see Luka Doncic, who's a guy that you really knew for as soon as he's been in the league that he was going to be a very good player. But to see him hit this kind of level of early playoff greatness. You know what I mean? Like there's something about being a very good player, but being a great player at that age is a phenomenal thing. Uh, You talk about the future of the NBA, a series like this, a look at this in Luka Doncic right now at 22 years old. You just go, this guy's going to be a megastar for a long time. Because he's got all the skills. I mean, it's his ability to get to the net, but he can shoot. His court vision is ridiculous. He's got size that can rebound, so he gets some triple doubles. Like, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And watching him so far has been an absolute joy. And again, like, looking at the playoffs now and trying to figure out what's really stood out so far. The youth is a a really big thing, and it's it's been the best thing for me so far. So if you want to get in and talk about it, 855 212 Four two two seven. That's how you join the show. 855-212-4227. You can also hit me up on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. And that's all one word. It's Vince Quinn. But it's not just Luka Doncic. It's not just Jason Tatum. You know, as you're seeing these guys that are ascending, that are growing their status. Because with the NBA, and we know this because we've seen it through all the great teams and all the great players. There's such a path that you have to go on, right? Like Michael Jordan did it. LeBron James did it. It's, hey, let's get into the playoffs. You win a series or two. You hit a brick wall. Then eventually you get over that wall. Then you become a champion. So we've seen it with the greats. You've seen it right now, potentially, because I'm telling you, I, I went into this playoff run as confident as I've ever been in the Sixers in my entire life. I mean, this was, I, they've got all the pieces. They got all the pieces. And if you've seen how Joel Embiid is playing right now, it's it's so much fun. It's great. He's he's doing DX references. Um it's it's not exactly kid friendly, but Google it. Uh so he's doing that. Hunter uh, Triple H is responding outrageous. to it. Oh, it's it is outrageous in the best way. It's so awesome. And for Embiid, they asked him after What's the game. What's wrong with you people? No, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. This is the best part of sports is what, what Embiid's doing. But it's that path. It's that graduating. It's going through playoff series and growing and learning and understanding the flow of it. And he talked about that, and we'll get to that more in, in about an hour. But for Luka Doncic to be an established, like, oh, my God, look at this guy. He is a completely dominant, leading the team, could potentially take this series from the Clippers kind of player 22 is awesome. But also, and this is the guy that I I can't give him enough credit right now. Holy crap, Trey Young. 
I mean, holy crap. Have you seen what Trey Young is doing? It's unbelievable. Like, you've got a point guard that's a smaller guy, and he's going to New York. Have you seen how crazy New York has been with Madison Square Garden? How riled up Knicks fans have been? Because, you know, the team has just been a god-awful forsaken misery for... I don't know, 20 years, a lifetime. Like, it's it's been forever since they've really been any good. So, they're geeking out. They've got all the energy in the world. And immediately, game one, they attack Trey Young. Which in itself is a testament to how good he is, right? To open up a playoff series as a 21-year-old, and the whole building is calling for your head from the jump. The whole building is going after you. And Trey Young looks at those people and is like, yeah, I got this. Like, you know, just keep piling it on. Let's go. And then, sure enough, he's putting up point after point after point. He's hitting big shots. At the end of the game, he hits a game winner. Game one, Madison Square Garden. Like, that's big-time stuff. You know what I mean? That's not, this guy could be a pretty good player. It's like, this guy could be a top five, top ten player in the league kind of thing. Like, this is elite kind of qualities that you're seeing from a young player in a big moment right at the beginning of his career. And it's just, it's so exciting. It's so fun looking at the future of basketball. It just feels like a year where the page is turning. It's turning in a real way, right? Like you see what LeBron James has been and he's been, he's been putting up points and the Lakers are very likely going to win that series, but He's not exactly the same. He's turning it on at different parts. You're dealing with injuries again with him, and he's talking about how healthy he'll ever be. So, like, you're seeing him starting to slowly break down. That is a real transition. That's happening. Like, we are finally after an an era of LeBron James, and he's still at the top, but it's now the downside is starting to really show itself. He's not just staying there at the peak. And so to see that, you see Chris Paul, and, like, how awful is that? I mean, honestly, it it was game one of the series. For Chris Paul to get hurt in the first game, it was just like, dude, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. I, and I feel for the guy. Because for Chris Paul to be the kind of player that he's been, and it's not just what he does on the court, but he's the president of the Players Association. I mean, the value that this guy has brought to the league over the course of his career, what he's done for players over the course of his career, that guy's a huge deal. And for him to get to the playoffs again and immediately get an injury, you're just like, it's he's just never going to get a break. He's just not, I mean, he's playing, but he's not the same guy. And everybody knows it. So as unfortunate as that is, To see him go through that injury again, it's just like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, these were the great players. This was that era, you know, but now it's like Carmelo Carmelo Anthony's a rotational player. Those were the greats. Those are three of your four banana boat guys, right? So, like, that's where they are now. It's just different. And now you're seeing these young guys start to assert themselves in different ways. Because for Tatum, again, he's in a losing battle, but to put up 50 that means something. That matters. That's significant. For Luka Doncic to put up 40 points a game as a 22-year-old is just off the charts. Trey Young going into Madison Square Garden, off the charts. And now the other guy that, I mean, how do you not fall in love with John Morant? I've been I've been beating the John Morant drum from the second he got into the league, and it's unfortunate because, 
you know, you hear stuff like, hey, small market guys, you can't talk about them too. People don't know him too much. Well, it's like, look, if you don't know John Morant, get to know him. Get to know him. Watch some highlights. Re- look at his stat page. Like, whatever it is you can do to get yourself familiar with that guy, go check out John Morant. Because if you didn't see the game where they were playing the Jazz tonight, he's taking it to the Jazz. Like, that is the number one seed. That is a team that is better than the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are a good team. They're not a great team. A lot of fun players, but they're young. Like, they got stuff to work on. And for him to be going into that series, and, I mean, there's points where he's going right at Rudy Gobert to the rim, and he's finishing his shots. Like, he's landing the bucket, even though he's going at the guy who's going to be the defensive player of the league for, what, the third time in his career? You know, that's impressive. Like, they were right there with the Jazz. They were down maybe 10 points. By the end of the third quarter, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. It's like, okay, Mike Conley hits a three. Dylan Brooks hits a three. Now here's John Morant driving and hitting a shot. And they they fight their way back. It's a tie game. There's like three minutes left. And then, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks fouled out and the wheels fell off. But they took the Jazz to the limit, you know, as an eight seed. Like, they are constantly giving the Jazz all they can handle night in and night out. John Morant's doing that. He's a second-year 21-year-old player. How cool is that, right? Like, that's the thing is you always want to see the future of the sport. You always want to see as much as the great players you've got, the established names that everybody knows because for the NBA, I mean, these guys, once you hit your prime, you can be a, a prime player for a long time and you can age gracefully. A lot of these great players do, but you want to see that next group and to see that with the rookies this year, you know, I mean, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, um, Tyrese Halliburton. There's just so many fun, young players. And now you get that again in the playoffs where they're taking this step. You're seeing these young guys grow. You're seeing them show off a bit. And, yeah, it's round one of the playoffs. But this is how the NBA works. Like, this is the life cycle. This is the growth. You're seeing it in real time. And for me, that's been the most exciting thing so far. Like, that is the number one thing as I've been watching the playoffs so far. That's what I've gotten the most joy out of, is just seeing that youth, seeing it change, seeing it blow up. And so, what's it been for you? As you've been watching the NBA playoffs so far, what stood out? What have you enjoyed watching? We'd love to talk with you. 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show. 855-212-4227. I'm Vince Quinn, by the way. And if you want to keep up with me, you can also join the show on Twitter. So you can find me at It's Vince Quinn, and that's all one word. It's Vince Quinn, where somebody just said, hey, Vince, I love the Atlanta Hawks, and they're playing well, but I can't see them making it past the second round. I mean, agreed. Agreed. You're talking to a Sixers fan, folks. I I just, let's put the cards on the table. I'm a Sixers guy. They're playing crazy good basketball. I don't see either... Uh, the Knicks or the Hawks with any chance against the Sixers. It's just not happening. But to win a series like this for Trey Young, if he goes, because like what the Knicks have done this year has been impressive. Julius Randle and and what he's been able to do this year with Thibodeau, like it's ridiculous. So if Trey Young's winning that series as a 21-year-old and he's the central focal point of that team doing it, even if they get crushed in the second round, doesn't matter. It's a great year. It's a great playoffs. You're listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. Pump up the jam, pump it up. Why your feet? 
dust thumping And the jam is pumping Look ahead, the crowd is jumping Pump it up a little more Get the party going on the dance floor See, cause that's where the party's at And you find out if you do that Listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, so speaking of booty, I did not plan for this, but spe- when you have the opportunity to speak about booty, you might as well do it. So let's go to the Nuggets Trailblazer series for a moment here because game was ugly, okay? Portland steamrolled the Nets or the Nuggets and they won that game 115 to 95. Damian Lillard actually not dominant in this one. He was not the story of the game. If anything, it was like, wow, uh, Damian Lillard wasn't, you know, hitting all the shots. He only had 10 points, 10. That's it. To hear that Portland had 115 in a playoff game and Lillard had 10 is like, wait, what? Yeah, no, it was, it was a different kind of game today. Um, big, big name for the Blazers today. Norman Powell, Norman Powell, this year, new addition for the Blazers. He put up 29. So he was the story of the game, but Afterwards, Michael Malone of the Nuggets was asked about the game and, and Lillard had listened to this. There's no silver linings when you get your ass kicked in a playoff game. What a great line. He's right. It's just like they've been around for a couple of years. They've been a successful team. Like, what does it matter? Hey, coach, yeah, I know you lost, but, like, how would you feel about that rotational player? There's no silver linings when you get your ass kicked in a playoff game. There's not. It's just not. At, the, at that stage, there's not. It's not there. If you are, because like when I opened things up like, you know, 30, 40 minutes ago, and I was talking about all these young players that are doing great stuff. And that's the thing that's so great about the playoffs right now. It's watching these young guys do great things to have Trey Young play a great game and lose against the Knicks. That's okay, right? Like that is a silver lining right now because he's so new to the experience. He's 21 years old. So you can go, okay, yeah, they lost, but this, this, and this, and it, it wasn't all that bad, right? There's still the series. But if you're the Nuggets, you got expectations, you know? Like, you have hopes and dreams here, and the first round is, like, you don't want to get pasted. So for him to just go, like, yeah, we got our ass kicked. It wasn't great. <laughs> I just, I love the sincerity of that. There's no silver linings when you get your ass kicked in a playoff game. Yeah, he's right. He's right. So good for him. Good for Michael Malone. I'm glad that he said it. Now, I've been asking people, because I was just touching on these on these younger players making great performances so far. And who's been your favorite young guy to watch in these playoffs? Is it Luka? Is it Jason Tatum? Is it Donovan Mitchell? You could still say, although he's been in the league for a couple of years, he's still a very young guy. John Morant. Like, for me, John Morant has been incredible. Trey Young especially, just because of the pressure the pressure that the Knicks fans, they like, they're literally chanting at the stadium, Trey Young's balding. <laughs> Trey Young's balding. <laughs> Which is like, damn, you know, like that's because think about it. Could you imagine like being 21 years old and balding, right? He's losing, so his, his hair's thinning out a little bit. It's thinning out a little bit. I don't want to, I'm not trying to go down this avenue, but you got to address the issue when it's presented. So, okay, the, the, the man's hair is thinning a little bit. But he's 21 years old. Like, that sucks. That's Whoa, roasted. Yeah, it's, it's a good burn. If you're trying to get under his skin as a Knicks fan, that's a pretty good PG way to do it. You know, it's mean-spirited, but 
let's be real. And there's there was a lot of issues this week in the NBA, by the way. There was a lot of just like downright awful, horrible miserable things that happen. And I want to get to that a little bit later in the show. You know, what happened with Russell Westbrook in Philly? We'll talk about that. Uh, John Morant and his family in Utah. Trey Young himself. I mean, somebody spit on Trey Young in a game. Somebody spit on him. A fan. Fan just, like, totally out of control. You're a clown. And it really is embarrassing. Like, you have to reevaluate your life. When you're somebody that goes that far, you have to you have to reconsider everything that you've been doing with yourself and who you are as a person when you go to that line. It's 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 an embarrassment. You're a loser. You are a loser. And so for those kinds of people, and and you know, and the problems that they present, we'll get to that later. But Trey Young to be in that kind of hostile environment and play the kind of basketball that he's playing, how do you not fall in love with the kid? Like I've known he's been a good player. But I was like, you know, I want to see what he's looking like in the playoffs. I want to see what this, you know, how different is it and whatnot. He's been incredible. He's been incredible. And it's it's tough, too, because when you're Trey Young, you got traded for Luka Doncic. Like, that move happened in the draft. And they will always be tied together. And will he be as good as Luka Doncic? Like, right now, my inkling is I'm going to lean towards Doncic. He's going to be the better player. Trey Young is, as they like to say, and I don't know why they say this, nothing to sneeze at. Does that phrase make any sense? Do, did people, like, used to sneeze at things they didn't like? Was there just like, oh, uh, well, I bought this new dress. What do you think? <gasps> you know, like, is that did that is that how that went? Like, does anybody understand sneezing at things? Was that, what? why did we sneeze at things? Did I don't know, man. Yeah, I just, I never, we always say that phrase. Oh, it's nothing to sneeze at. Well, what do we sneeze at? Like, what? what is the thing that is worth, I've never looked at something and been like, I'll sneeze at that. Oh, yeah, baby, that's worth a sneeze. I just, <laughs> it's a dumb phrase. <laughs> so, anyway. I just uh, getting into what Trey Young's done is just true story. It's it's been incredible. It's nothing to sneeze at. So if you want to get in eight five five two one two four two two seven, that's how you join the show. If you have information on how sneezing at things became a phrase, eight five five two one two four two two seven. Or keep you can, your freaking mouth shut. No, don't keep your mouth shut. I need to know. I need to know, Graceffo. You can't tell the people to not. I'm I'm literally asking people to call me, and you're like, keep your mouth keep shut. Keep your freaking mouth no. shut. No. No. Okay? No. You're not. That is not how. This is talk radio. If I was. Keep your freaking mouth shut. I don't. For somebody who's been in the business for a long time, you don't seem to understand the medium, Graceffo. You don't seem to understand the the give and take here. No. No, you don't. (laughs) Keep your freaking mouth shut. Okay, Graceffo? Keep your freaking mouth shut. See, that's to you now. That's to you. So. Didn't say anything. 855-212-4227 or at it's. Vince Quinn. Now, something else that I almost forgot about this because it happened a couple of days ago and there's just been so many different things that have happened. Um, How about Julio Jones earlier this week and what happened on first take? Because that was unbelievable. When you have the access, I get it. Shannon Sharp's got the ability to open his phone. He's got contacts with all these different players, athletes, coaches, I would assume like all sorts of people. I mean, the guy was in the league and a great player. And now he's been in the media for a long time. You're going to have connections. You're going to have numbers on your phone. Great. Great. So if you're going to go and make those calls, obviously you got to let the person know they're on the air. You have to. Yeah. Like that is an obligation. You have to let somebody know that, Hey, uh, by the way, what you're saying right now is going to be broadcast to however many, like hundreds of thousands of people are watching this show. 
it's just a nice thing to give someone a heads up on, right? Like, if you've got people on speakerphone, you don't just put them on and let them run, you know? Or if you do, don't do that. Like, why do you do that to people? If you're putting somebody on speakerphone and there's other people around, if you're just in the car by yourself and you're on speakerphone, fine, who cares? But if you're around people and you're like, hey, uh, you know, how's it going, Bill? And, and Bill's like, well, let me tell you my wife. And you're like, Bill, you're on speaker. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> No. Stop it. So you, you just got to you gotta give people the heads up. Now, with Julio Jones, in that moment, is he upset? I don't know. I don't know how angry Julio Jones is about it. I have no idea. It, nothing's come out since about Julio Jones specifically and what his feelings were. I haven't seen anything about it. Maybe he cares. Maybe he doesn't. For him to go out and be like, yeah, man, I'm getting out of here. Like, I'm good. I'm done. I, it's time. Get me out. Maybe he's good. He's like, yeah, now everybody knows. Totally un- uncertain terms. You know, it's, here you go. Or not uncertain terms. Like, I've blown that phrase twice in an hour. I never used that phrase. I'll never use that phrase again. We're just done. That's, uh, I'm not saying in, in no uncertain terms. I will now s- stop saying in no uncertain terms. Now, for Julio, so, yeah, okay, he doesn't like the Cowboys. That was the thing that... <laughs> It's just that which was hilarious. I think all of us enjoyed that. I'll say that as wrong as it was for the broadcast to to have that conversation. Him going like, "Yeah, Dallas, I'm good." It's, <laughs> it's like, yes, this is beautiful. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, he Julio Jones might not care, but it's everybody else around that situation. If you're the agent of Julio Jones, you're furious. Like you are absolute. I would be so livid. If I was Julio Jones' agent, I'd be out of control angry about that. If I'm the Atlanta Hawks, I'm out of control angry about that. Or Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons, we've been talking about basketball. Maybe we'll trade them to the to the Hawks. Could Julio Jones join the Hawks and get them past the Knicks? 855-212. Uh, so, we'll see. But those are the entities. That's who gets hurt in this. You might go, ah, oh, it's just a phone call, and it's like, it's a little thing. It's not a big deal. We know he's getting traded. No, there's the level of negotiations that go on and leverage and how that can get hurt. I mean, the fact that Dallas is eliminated in itself or the idea that Julio doesn't want to go there, that matters. That matters. Because now if you're the Hawks, see, I almost did it again. I almost said the Hawks. I'm I'm screwing up all the phrases. Again, Memorial Day weekend's already hit me pretty hard. Um, If you're the Falcons, now you can't go to another team and say, well, Dallas has given us a couple of calls and like they're sniffing around. It's just, it's another name you can add to the list to add pressure, to add a market. And now that's gone. So it's, it's just, it's awful the way that all went. I mean, that just, it, it wasn't right. Now, anyway, 855-212-4227. We go to James, who I think wants to talk about the Hawks actually, and maybe not the Falcons. And he's in Atlanta. What's up, James? Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? Oh, man, yeah, you're right. Atlanta is the center of the sports universe. We got the doggone, a disgruntled wide receiver, and we got a tight, and we got a point guard that's showing his tail off every game. Oh, man. I mean, you get the builder and the sweep. Yeah, no, it's it, there's a lot of stuff going on in Atlanta. And actually, we're, we're going to be getting somebody from Atlanta on a little bit later. We're going to have uh, Carlos Medina on the show from 680 The Fan in Atlanta. So I'll be talking with him in a little bit about the Hawks and, and the Falcons and everything going on there. But, uh, James, I mean, how do you, like, how, how much fun has it been to watch the Hawks so far, watching Trey Young and what he's been doing? Ooh, wow. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. 
hey, it has been a revival. It has been very refreshing to watch actual good watching the team play that knows how to play. I mean, Coach Nate McMillan. I mean, I know he can't win Coach of the Year, but boy, if he if he if they had signed, giving him that contract to sign right now, I don't know what they're waiting on. Because he got those guys leaving in themselves, and they're playing fundamental basketball. Hey, you're not doing it by yourself. Trey is a distributor, and he is making sure that those guys are in their spots, and he's getting it to them on the dime, and they're yep. not hitting the shot. All right, and James, I got to run, but I appreciate it, man. The happiness of the, like, woo! <laughs> That's about Trey. That was Nate awesome. McMillian. Nate McMillan. <laughs> so, 855-212-4227. I'm Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. You can always hit me up at It's Vince Quinn. Let's talk a little Sixers basketball next. You're listening to The Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports Radio. Listening to the Vince Quinn Show, weekend overnights on CBS Sports Radio. Plenty more to get into with the NBA. That's where we've started. That's where we will be spending most of our time this evening. But there's a lot of stuff to get into. You know, we'll get to some more NFL stuff along the way. Uh, a little later in the hour, there was some shocking stuff from Tua. Like, there are things that you could say honesty is appreciated in some circumstances. I totally get that. I like hearing guys telling you the deal. And as much as Tua was honest, he didn't help his case. But that's that's all a little bit later. First, I do want to get into a little baseball thing. But we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need certainty of the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket Ken, Rocket Mortgage, nothing to sneeze at. Now, let's, that, is not, that is not their slogan. But anyway, uh, I was Googling on where the origin of that is. Apparently, people would put snuff in their noses, in the middle of conversations, and they would intentionally make themselves sneeze from the snuff as a sign of disrespect. So if they, if you were talking to somebody and you were like, yeah, let me tell you, uh, I don't know, the Knicks are going to win the NBA title because, wow, Julius Randle, he's the best player in the league. Someone would be like, all right, this guy's an idiot. Let me put some snuff up my nose because I'm smart and let me go and just sneeze all that out. <laughs> <laughs> as a bleep you. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting custom. So there you have it. There's there's the origins of, of sneezing and things. <laughs> but uh, I want to get to this baseball play for a sec because it was just, it was so dumb. It was, it was one of the dumbest plays you'll ever see. And it happened between the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Listen to this. Whoops. All right. So hold on. Uh, well, we'll we'll have it for you in a second, Graceffo. You just let me know. That was a, see now now it's my blunder. Now I'm the one that's made mistakes, and now I look. I might as well be the first baseman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Maybe that clip has been lost to time in our system, and we'll just never hear it again. So if you can't find it, don't worry about Graceffo. I'll just talk about it. So here, see, you, you operate on the fly, baby. You work on the fly. So here's what happened. Right there, there's a, a play earlier this week with the Cubs and the Pirates. Javi Baez hits a ball to the first baseman. He hits the ball down the line to the first baseman. 
as he's running down the base path to get to first, well, what do you know? The first base was right there. He's ready to tag him. Now, Baez turns around. He hightails it and runs back to home plate. He ran backwards to home plate on a ball that was at first base. And the first baseman chased him. Chased him. You're the first baseman. You have no reason to go anywhere. You are the only game in town. There is only there's only one direction. And so when he turns around, it, it it's so funny because I, I get why he did it in the moment. As dumb of a play as it was, the first baseman for the Pirates. Because think about this, right? Uh, I actually just, this just happened with my niece who was 10 weeks old yesterday. Like, they're feeding her, and she's kind of like, oh, yeah, this milk stuff is pretty good, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting tired of it. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you don't want to eat this bottle anymore? All right, well, let's let's just take that. And she's like, oh, no, 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 now that you're taking it, I really want this thing. And it's just like this natural reaction of something's going away from you, and you want to go and get it. You're going to go chase it, right? Like, if you have a dog, and you're trying to get the dog to, like, cooperate, and instead of chasing the dog, if you run away from the dog, the dog will chase you. And that's pretty much what happened is first baseman sees Javi Baez. Javi Baez turns around and goes the other way. He instinctively goes like, wait, I'm supposed to get that guy. I'm going to go and get him. (laughs) And then uh, a runner scores from the Cubs while this shenanigan is going on. Then there's an overthrow at one point, and Baez gets to second base on a ball where he should have been dead to rights on his way to first. So it was just a ludicrous play. It was incredibly dumb play. And uh, Graceffo, you hated everything about it. It's so funny. Like, I did not expect the disdain that Graceffo has for this moment. But you you hate everything about this. Oh, of course I do. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this whole thing. Like, the more, like, it's not funny. It's, like, really sad. Like, the whole thing is deplorable. Like, it's very alarming that there is a major league first baseman out there. Will Craig is his name. Who just forgot how many outs there were. And thought he had to chase Javi Baez back to the plate. Why, under any circumstances, are you allowed to go back to the plate? Well, that's a good question. Like, why? What's going to happen if he goes back? Like, can he just go back to the dugout at that point? Like, can <laughs> he goes he back to the on into, deck can circle? He run into left field? Can he run into right field? Obviously, he can't do those things. So, why is he allowed to go back to the dugout? Like, why is he allowed to go back toward down the line? It is weird that you can go backwards on the first base path, and that's not an automatic out. It's like when you, you he, he, it should have been he's giving himself up, and he just stops, and he should have been out. Like that should be the rule. Not that we're getting into this dumb game of I'm gonna chase you, <laughs> even though there's two out, and that's the more alarming thing. That again, we were talking about this in the break. Yeah. Do you have any idea the amount of money that Pittsburgh is spending on players? I can't imagine it's much. No. I mean, I mean, and you got guys, like this guy won a gold glove in the minors as a first baseman. He won a gold glove. Wow. And he forgot how many outs there were. Can you, like, it's just, it's deplorable. Like, and then the Cubs are laughing at them. It's, it's no, it's nothing that Major League Baseball should promote. It's nothing that should gain any sort of traction whatsoever. It's something you should watch for 10 seconds and forget about it immediately because it only points out the folly of the Pirates to, to just, like, they, we already know they're a joke. They're not as much of a joke as they would be if people cared about this sport on a national level, but they're a joke, like, and we all know they're a joke. Yeah. So why, so why are we 
pointing out the fact that this team is an absolute joke. The 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 folly of it is is that they're allowed to operate in the way that they operate. And this is the product that you see. Well, yeah, it's it's low and payroll, Hobby maximized Baez profit. Should not be getting pats on the back for doing something that should not. It should never be allowed to happen. He should be out immediately. He well, decides to go back toward the plate. He should be out immediately. Well, it's not a pat on the back, right? It's just no. The, he's getting pats on the back. Oh, what a great smart play by Baez. Oh, no, it's not. It's that's, a, uh, that's what everybody said. Well, they're wrong. It's it's a ridiculous play. It's a dumb play, but. The fact it's it's just the oddity of it. The circus of the play in itself is just such a strange, bizarre thing to see that you can't look away. I mean, when's the last time you saw a rundown in between like first Bias and home? Does this all the time. He does this junk, and nobody sees it because he's out ninety nine percent. Okay, of the time. well, and, and maybe and that's in part the value of the play, right? If but nobody ever not, sees it and really nobody ever not. wants to share it's it, really not. They made colossal mistakes on every level that should not be celebrated if I were the manager of that team and if the manager had any spine immediately all 26 guys should have been lit up they're getting laughed at by the other team on camera it's visible Rizzo and another cub I forget who it is are laughing at them they're laughing at them yeah period that's an embarrassment. Well, for the Pirates, it is. And if you're a Pirates fan, and to which see the play unfold that way is embarrassing. There should be no. He should be out automatically. There should be there should be no instance where he's allowed to go back toward the batter's box because what happens if he goes back to? Can he just stand there and continue the at bat? He touches no. home and he's yeah. Let me pick it up and let's let's throw another pitch here. Like <laughs> we make a rule that he can't run out of the baseline. Why can he continue to run back? When nothing can happen if he runs back. Nothing can happen. Nothing. That's the thing. I mean, he would just automatically be out if he touched home, I assume. Right. If he t- but if you touch the plate without the ability to score a run, you're out anyway. So, but it's the ridiculousness <laughs> of, like, I don't understand why it's allowed that he's a, a ba- allowed to go back. I don't know either. It's, it's one of those things that maybe they just, nobody does it, so they don't consider it. And he it does just, it. He does it. Well, does he does he always run back? Because he's like one he of these literally guys that turns just, around. He's one or of these he just guys that stutters. sometimes he'll just keep running till he's tagged. Because that's smart. Again, again, he should get no pets on the back. This is a play that should be shown to no one. They should not promote this play. If you're on social, you have to promote the play. Okay, great. All right, great. So a 12-year-old somewhere can watch it on their goofy phone yes. and then forget about it. Exactly. Again, you're not That's attracting exactly you're not it. attracting people that way. Why not? Cuz you're not. Cuz you're not. Cuz you're, you're not, not watching you're not watching the sport regardless. I'm watching it there for 12 seconds. Okay, what did they have those 12 seconds before? Great. I'm just saying it's party. it's something. It's not like they they want clown show highlights every second. It's not it's not even really a highlight. Again, as much as it's just an oddity. This it's team a should have show. had a bat rack thrown at them for doing that. Well, if you're the Pirates, yeah, your manager yeah. should be nuts. They about should have it. had the entire bat rack thrown at them. But as, as somebody who's just watching the game and it, I, like I'm a Phillies fan, I don't I don't care about the Cubs or the Pirates. Right. You know? Well, that's the problem. So, is that nobody care nobody cares about this sport anymore? That's the problem. Well, yeah, they is don't. That, is people? It's just that's just allowed to happen. Yeah. That's just allowed to happen. All right. Well, let me, okay. As we're on the subject of baseball, I've had a baseball theory that's been, like, circulating in my brain. I'm going to run this by you now because I'm, I'm curious to see what you think of this. So, 
obviously the problem with baseball is action, right? It's just action. Like you, you want, you know, you're not getting steals. You're not getting people That's bunting and good action, hitting. Though. What he did is not good action. Well, no, it's not. I'm not talking about that. We're, we're moving on from that. So thank it, God. It, it's just a, we'll play for the rest of the night. Uh, so for this sport, as you're trying to figure out how to get action, how to get away from all the strikeouts and power hitting and all that kind of stuff, you're trying to think of ways to fix the sport. And like, there's all these totally ridiculous things with pitch clocks and how many guys you can substitute as a, after I mean, how many batters, like they're trying all these crazy rules. The thing that makes the most sense to me. And like, I'm more convinced of this by the day. I thought about it about a week ago. I would shorten the base path. I'll just make it shorter. See, and Graceffo literally just put his hand on his head and he's like crying to himself. Now he's like, I can't believe this the base idiot path has been the same for 150 years. So why are we changing it? What's the difference? What's the what's the difference of a couple of feet? It could be a huge you difference. You know how you change the sport? How? Call more strikes. Don't allow these guys to leave the batter's box. Every pitch. Your game will get a lot quicker. If the borderline pitch was called a strike every time, the game would be a lot quicker. And if you were not allowed to leave the batter's box, the game would be a lot quicker. Okay, well, doing those things helps. You're also going to get more strikeouts then. Fine. Learn to put the ball in play. The number of balls in play from 10 years ago alone is ridiculous. There are thousands of less balls in play. Yeah. From simply just 10 years ago. Well, yeah. And that's why so I, I want to shorten the base path. In, if people were hunting stri- if umpires were hunting strikes and calling strikes, you would not have four and a half hour games with everybody walking. There should be no Major League Baseball game where there are 10 walks in the game. Shouldn't happen. No, 10 Period. walks shouldn't happen. No, it's, it's definitely and it too happens, much. And it happens once a night. But the, where there's the strikeouts usually baseball games too. that take place where there's 10 walks or more in a game. Double-digit strikeouts, no hitters are up, all those different things. But that's the thing. You need action. You need to incentivize people to hit the baseball and just do it for Call more strikes. People will, try, people will try to hit. But the, it's going to be the same. Of I mean, the, the whole philosophy still is hit the ball out of the park. Right, I get, but so it's going to be the same thing. It's just they, they've got more ju- likelihood of striking out. If you had a uniform out. strike zone where you called the borderline pitch a strike, I guarantee you games would be quicker. Okay, I guarantee little, you there'd be well, more action. It'd be a little bit quicker. I well, see, being quicker and more action, I think, are different things, though. I guarantee you there'd be more action, the game be quicker. I guarantee you. People would hit differently if the strike zone's bigger? You think it would just... No, not bigger. I'm just saying, if the borderline pitch was a strike, yeah. instead of it, if it was a strike every time, the game would be the game would be a lot crisper. I guarantee you. Maybe. Maybe. I just... I, I'm, I'm dead set on shortening the base path now. Like, that has just become something I just believe. Like, they just take a couple of feet off. I don't know if you go to 87, 85. I don't know how short you make it. But if you could adjust it just a little bit so that when you bunt, your likelihood of getting on base is higher. If you steal, your likelihood of stealing that base is higher. Then maybe the sport gets better. Because, like, the problem with baseball is what analytics tell you to do. Like, what is conducive to winning is not entertaining. Right? It's the launch angle stuff, hitting the ball out of the park. That's the value of it. your likelihood of converting a steal is not great. So, why are you going to steal if the likelihood is not good? Stay on base, let somebody hit you in with a home run. Now you've got two home runs. You know, it's two people on one swing of the bat. So, that's what you play for. You play for big innings. That's, that's what a lot of baseball is now. So, if you can incentivize people that, hey, bunning is good, bunning is effective baseball again, bunning is analytically sound, stealing is analytically sound. That could change the game. That's why I chose the base But the defense path. already tries to incentivize those things when they put three infielders on one side, and guys still don't do it. Well, they got to ban the shift, too. That's—no. No. Oh, yeah. No. 
would you tell Bill Belichick that he can't blitz? It's insanity. You can't. Blitzing is different. Would you tell? Would you tell? Uh, what's another analogy? I, I don't know. But how many things are like hitting a baseball at a hundred miles per hour I can't with a curve? Tell someone they can't play a defense a certain way. That's insane. I mean, you're moving a player from one side of the field to the other. Hitters it's just... should be able to adjust. That's the point. But they can't. That's their problem. But that's a league problem. That's I mean, their problem. What does it say when all of these guys can't adjust? How many guys routinely mean, beat the it means, shift? It means, it means the culture around the game should be changed. But that's if it's, what it means. If it's that big not, of a not monumental rules. sport problem. Not rules. Well, then how can rules be are not solved the problem. It? Rules are not the problem. The way the game is taught is the problem. But it's happening at the professional level still when you're combating all of this shifting and they know they're dealing with shifting at an increasing rate and nobody solved it. Like, so how come nobody like solved it? We talked about it last week. A major league manager called the game unwatchable. Well, yeah, Why do is. you think it's unwatchable? Part of it's a shift. Because no... Understood. But a bigger part of that is nobody can adjust to it. That's why... <laughs> but that's why you ban it. You can't ban it. Why not? Because, again, I'll give you the it's analogy. It's ruining the game. You cannot tell Bill Belichick he can't blitz on third and long. Like, it's it's ridiculous. But being able to complete a quick pass and being able to hit a ball at 100 miles per hour on the edge of the plate and do that and then hit it but to the a specific of, side of the, the field. the principle of it, not the specifics. But the no, principle but that of it specific is I can't is tell someone they can't play defense a certain way. It's absurd. But when it's that extreme, it's like cherry picking. You know what I mean? Like, there's just certain extreme stuff that at some point you got to go, like, <laughs> you just can't have this. The game has been – but uh, we've gone backwards again. The game has been catered to the offensive player forever. Forever. So now we're going to cater to them even more. When, they have, when they've had every opportunity to adjust to this thing over the past decade, and they can't. So what do you do? You let the sport just die because they can't adjust to the shift? What's no, I would, I would have somebody actually teach a bit the ability to combat it. Well, don't they? Don't you think every team would work on that? Like, why they should? No, well, why nobody's well, solved Vince, it, Let me ask though. you a question. Let me ask you a question. Why, why is it in the first 100 years of this game, or 120 years of this game, only the big left-handed power hitter was uh, shifted on? Why is it everyone now? Analytics. Is it everyone because they can't adjust to it? Probably. Probably. Well, that's part of it. But if they all can't adjust to it, then that's the exact learn reason. A new, you learn get a new rid way. Of it. Learn a new way. But nobody's got that way. Not my problem. It's the league's problem. Yeah, it's alarming that no one can learn a new way to hit a baseball. Yes, it's but alarming. it's so hard to hit it in the first place. I mean, it's I've alarming to the point- that we went from one way where people actually had two strike approaches and things like that for 150 years, and we decided, eh, let's forget that. And you know we have to. Everybody has to walk in it. Three run, hit three run homers. Everybody has to walk in it. Not everybody plays the game that way. There are still teams that actually you know try to hit the other way. There are still guys in the league that don't strike out. There are a few of them, but they still exist. Yeah. So you're gonna. Not everybody has to be the same. Well, that's but we've the all thing decided too. that everybody should be the same because we all need to walk in a three-run homer. You don't incentivize different styles of plays, the frustrating thing. Like, you, you want to get it to, like, exactly. you, you look at the NFL. You exactly. Want, yeah, you want 13-play drives if you're a certain team, and other teams you want to score in six. That's a huge and you want to hit a deep ball, yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge problem is that nobody has taught anybody that, hey, you can still make money in this sport if you don't strike out 200 times. That's insanity. Yeah. Oh, no, it's totally insane. The whole thing's crazy. So, anyway, I just, uh, I don't know. This all started with Javi Baez, then it got into shortening the base path, and we've been all over the place. So, 
If you want to join in about if you got thoughts on it, 855-212-4227. We're open. 855-212-4227. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Happy to read tweets and, and respond to you on there. You can find me at It's Vince Quinn. So all one word, it's Vince Quinn. You're listening to The Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to The Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio. See, now this is a special era. You go back to baseball when little Richie is dominating. Computers are the size of, like, your house, you know? And they could just do basic math, you know? It's just like, it's a whole different era. The analytics of baseball in the 50s, I guess, is when Tutti Frutti was out. I don't know. My, my, my main reference for Tutti Frutti is the Brave Little Toaster. For whatever that's worth. <laughs> it's a whole different game then. So anyway, 855-212-4227 is how you join the show. I am Vince Quinty here on CBS Sports Radio. And we've been talking about baseball quite a bit here in the past hour. Because, I mean, one, it started with Javi Baez and that play earlier this week, which was just completely ridiculous and insane and, to me, hilarious. But then we got into, you know, how do you handle the shift and what kind of changes you make to the game. And I've, I've really become fully convinced that if I was Rob Manfred, which, you know, ew. Uh, but if I was Rob Manfred, I would shorten the base paths. I'd shorten the base paths. Like, that's, that's the move. You just make it easier. Bunting, you know, if the ability to turn a single into a double or a double into a triple, if you could shorten the base paths just a couple of feet, how much would that change the game? How much better would it be? Would it change at all? So, 855-212-4227. We will get into more NBA playoff stuff. I got some NFL stuff, but let's talk to Angel in Atlanta. Angel, what's up? Hey, man, what's up, man? Just here hearing your nonsense a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, but it's pretty simple, man. You can't really change the rules in baseball like that or shorten up the base pads. That's just ridiculous. That's like saying shorten the three-foot um, you know, three range you know, in basketball. You can't do okay, that. Okay, well, there, if there was um, a time where there wasn't a three-point line at all. Exactly, but... But they added know, it. You got to go back to now. Back in 1995 in baseball, the highest player was 9.2 million. Now it's Mike Trout with you know, 37 million a year. That that's a big difference, you know. Okay, but but, but what is, does that mean? It basically means that you know the basically the um, the cost of going to games is more expensive, so not that many fans and all that want to even show up to the games, etc. And then also with your defense, basically, you can't deny them to shift. That's like saying you can't double team, or you know, in the football, you can't you know double coverage a wide receiver. But it's it's too different. I mean, the difficult you can throw the ball wherever you want. You're a person. You stand there. The ball is in your hand. You're in control. Mm-hmm. When that when the a ball is coming at you at 100 miles per hour, your ability to hit it is already difficult as it is. They expect you to do it at best three out of ten times. So to be able to do that at best three out of ten times and also direct it to a point where because I mean the, the analytics are based on they know where you hit the ball in thousands of at bats. So when they have that data, they know what you can do. Like it's the deck is stacked against you. Exactly. I guess just cheat them. They're getting paid minutes. Why not pay them? You know, cheat them like get them a coach. Pay them minutes also to teach them how to bunt the opposite way or something like that. 
But the analytics tell you to not do that. Like, that's the that's the problem, is when you pile it all up, it, this is what the game's become because this is what the numbers tell you to do. I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, if I'm coaching Little League and I see the third baseman isn't that great, I'll tell all my hitters hit it to third base. Well, yeah, but first off, how many, like, seven-year-olds are going to be able to do that? And you got center fielders picking daisies. Like, Little Leagues, it, it, and the pros are totally different. Angel, I appreciate it, but, like, it's just, it's totally different. It's it, it's so hard to hit a baseball. Double-teaming a wide receiver is, I mean, it's just totally different. It, it doesn't connect. Uh, let's try Max in Pittsburgh. Max, what's going on? Hey, Vince, long-time fan. First-time caller. I love the show. Just want to say that. Appreciate it. I'm curious, though, how you think shortening the base pass is going to give a better product. You were talking about that earlier. Yeah, so the whole general theory is it's just going to give you more action because now you're going to encourage more guys that are, say, speedy slap hitters. You know what I mean? Like guys that are getting phased out of the game. Now those guys are back in style. And it's not to say that home, you know, and home runs will always be valuable. So if you've got guys that can hit home runs, great. But now you're not going to break players who aren't home run hitters, and you're trying to make them home run hitters. You can build offenses different ways. And by having more variety, because, you know, bunting, singles hitters, steals, all that kind of stuff, you have more action in that way. It it opens up the sport. And shorter base pass would allow you to get on base. Because one of the things I love about the game is those close outs. And I feel like if you shorten those base paths, any contact on the ball that isn't a fly out or something like that, they're getting on base because it's now you're shortening the base paths. They're getting there fast enough to beat out those throws by enough that it's not exciting. Well, and that's the you know, balance of it. You have to figure out how much to shorten it because I'm not saying go to like 70 feet. You know what I mean? Like that'd be ridiculous. But do you go from 90 to, I don't know, 87? Like that's one step for a professional player. You know what I mean? So like, is that enough? It's, it's one step. I th- I, okay. That's a fair point. If you find that balance, it could work, but I do have to agree that this feels like penalizing the offense or penalizing the defense because the offense can't adjust. If these guys can time fastballs to absolutely launch them out of stadiums, they should be good enough to time them to beat the shift. Yeah, you'd hope, but I think that power and that control, it's its just a tough thing. But, Max, I appreciate it, man, and I, I know Graceffo certainly appreciated that call as well. So, <laughs> 855-212-4227. Let's, let's break away from that for a minute because I, I got to tell you, what I saw from the Sixers today was an, an obliteration. I mean, I was literally, there was a point where I caught some of the game, I was catching it, I was catching it early, and then I had to take a nap because, uh, you know, I... Long story short, I visited my sister's bachelorette party for a couple of minutes, and uh, I didn't hang all that well. But, you know, I, I so I took a nap. I got up. I was like, Alexa, what's the score of the Sixers game? And and my robot's literally yelling at me, the Sixers are demolishing the Washington Wizards 125 to 84 or something like that. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a devastating response from a robot. But... They got their clocks cleaned. I mean, they they got destroyed. That's another phrase, by the way, clocks cleaned. I, I have questions about that phrase. But it was dominant. And for the Sixers, that's what this series has been. The first game, it was like, all right, the, the Wizards are giving you a little bit of something. There's some resistance. And the Sixers hadn't played real basketball in about a month. So they got through that game. Embiid was a little slow. And the past couple of games, he's just he's destroying people. Like, he's not just playing well. 
He's like, oh my God, this is the best player on the planet right now. I mean, really, like, watch what Embiid has been doing. And if you look at the numbers that he's putting up, because, you know, Luka, for example, Luka's been out of his mind as well. He's putting up 40 points a night. He's crazy good. And as great as he's doing that, he's doing that over the course of a full game. You know, he's playing a ton of minutes. Embiid's playing 28 minutes a night in the playoffs. He's playing 28 minutes a night right now. He's averaging like 36. You know, it's it's crazy what he's doing right now. And And the thing is, He's a two-way player. It's offense. It's rim protection. He's got the ability to do Euro steps as a seven-footer. He's hitting three-pointers right now. Like, it's his game is so well-rounded, and he's so locked in. And you're seeing this growth because it, here's, here's what I, I want you to hear because this is Embiid after the game tonight talking about part of his growth process. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a few games ago, I mentioned it. Uh, that it feels like the game has slowed down. Um, you know, I'm not forcing anything. I'm letting it come to me. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, it's the ability to go, okay, in this matchup, I can go and take this guy. Or And, and a big growing point for Embiid has been double teams crushed him in the past. I mean, the turnovers. If you watched any Sixers game or you just look at a stat sheet, for the last couple of years, Sixers were one of the worst turnover offenders in basketball every single year. And Embiid was a big part of that because he had the ball a lot, he couldn't handle double teams, and he couldn't pass out of it. But now he's doing that. And to see that guy of that size and that ability being so locked in, I mean, you know, and to borrow a phrase that this is going to bother Heat fans, but deal with it, stupidly locked in. Uh, Embiid is stupidly locked in. And... For this kind of basketball, if you look at the East, this is the biggest deciding factor right now. If you're trying to figure right now in this moment who's coming out of the East, I tell you it's the Sixers because that is the best player in the league right now. That's the best guy. I don't care that Jokic is going to win the MVP. And I I was saying the same thing three weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago. Jokic is going to win the MVP, and he deserves it because he's played all the games and he's got the numbers. But Embiid's better than him. You know, if I'm picking a guy for one game and I got to win that game, you better believe I'm picking Joel Embiid. That is the guy. He's the truth. And it's all of those. It's not just the gameplay, but also what he does emotionally. He's taunting the fans in Washington. He's shushing the crowd. You know, he plays to the crowd so well at home, getting people riled up, putting his hand to his ear, that kind of thing. Like, he just gets it. He gets it. On such a complete level, and if you're one of those people that's watching basketball today and you go, ah, well, the spacing and how these guys act and whatever, like, I'm not exactly a fan of it anymore. Welcome to the Joel Embiid experience, because as this guy has arrived, as he's gone through so many different injuries and just, like, mismanagement and maturity stuff, like, as he's gone through everything He's finally figured it out. Through all these years, the game has slowed down for him. He has reached that peak level. And now, right now, there's nobody playing better basketball than him. So it's a sight to be seen. And they're going to sweep the Wizards. It's just an inevitability. So anyway, 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show. 855-212-4227. I'm Vince Quinn with you here on CBS Sports Radio. And you can always join the show on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. And that's all one word. It's Vince Quinn. When we come back, let's get a little bit, another funny moment in baseball. Stick around. You're listening to the Vince Quinn Show on CBS Sports Radio.
Listening to the Vince Quinn Show, weekend overnights on CBS Sports Radio. Yes, Vince Quinn here with you. We got a uh, couple hours left in the show. We've hit our midway point on this fine morning show. And if you'd like to hop aboard, it's it's been a lot of baseball so far, which is surprising. We just spent like a whole hour talking about baseball. I did not expect that to happen, but you know, you just got to go with the momentum when it's there. And uh, we've been talking a lot about baseball so far. So that we we got into a lot of NBA playoffs as well, because like. The main thing, when I first sat down, the main thing that's really stuck out to me watching these playoffs, and, and like right now the, there's a replay in front of me of the Jazz and the Grizzlies from tonight. It just tipped off, and that game was great. It was a great game, but part of what made that so great and this series so great is John Morant. Like, John Morant is awesome. I can't tell you enough how much fun that guy is. It's the attitude, the confidence, the determination, his ability on the court to constantly get to the net and finish, to recognize windows. Like, there are certain guys that come into the league and they just have a veteran presence about them. The way they approach things game in and game out, the reads they can make, choosing when to be selfish with the ball and when not to be. Like, they just, he's got that rhythm to him. And he's 21 years old. <laughs> it's just like, oh my goodness, this guy's incredible. And he's given the Jazz all they can handle. Like, they are having a hard, hard time with the Grizzlies right now. And that game, as much as the final score, it feels like it, was, it wasn't super competitive. That game was really competitive down to, like, the last two, three minutes. And then the Grizzlies, they just had some fouls. Dylan Brooks, who was a monster in this game, he fouled out. So it just it went sideways in the last couple of minutes. But that is a young team led by a 21-year-old giving the one seed full of veterans. And Mike Conley, now Mitchell's been in the league for a number of years. He's been a multiple-time All-Star. Rudy Gobert's won multiple defensive player of the years. Like, that's a legitimate team, you know? And they're giving them all they can handle. John Morant's doing that. And you see John Morant. You see Jason Tatum. You see Luka Doncic. You see Trey Young. All these young guys just... Lighten it up in different ways, fun ways, lighten it up. And I go, man, like, this is what the playoffs have been about. You know, this is the thing that really stands out. And I've enjoyed so much. And if you've got a young guy that you've really liked watching over the course of these playoffs so far, who is that young guy? Who's who's really stood out to you? 855-212-4227. Or you can also just hit me up on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. And that's all one word. It's Vince Quinn. By the way, we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. So I want to get to a football thing in a minute. I mean, what happened with Tua? I just stunner, stunner with Tua. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, I just want to play something that I think we've all felt this at a baseball game at one point or another. So earlier this week, the Toronto Blue Jays were playing the Cleveland Indians and in the middle of the game, this is like the middle of the sixth inning, this happens. The wind and pitch. Inside again, ball two, two and oh. Well, this is the score for win four new tires contest. 
Brought to you by Conrad. Just hang in there. If the Indians score four runs or more here in the seventh, Kate Bartlett of Westfield Center. Yep, time is called now because of the wind. It's not the rain. Uh-oh. We're going to delay this game now? We've played in this weather all night. This makes no sense. Well, I wonder what tipped the scales here because Bill Miller came in after a pitch. Thornton kind of fell off the mound. I wonder if that was it. Oh, come on. It's been going on all night. Sure We're going to have a delay now? It's The frustration in his voice is so great because it's – it is one of those things that you really feel like the number of times I've, cause I used to, um, for a couple of years, I actually used to produce Phillies games. Like I worked for the flagship station for the Phillies and still, still do, but I would run the games from the studio. So I would be connected to the broadcasters in the booth and you know, I, I would just play all the ad breaks and all that kind of stuff, cut highlights. So I, I was doing that. And when you would see the different ways, the different logic that went into when a game was delayed or when a game was postponed and when it wasn't. And, oh, my God, the times. If you've ever been at a game where you're there and there's a rain delay, it is chaos. It's chaos because now you're there and you're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're in this, like, a lot of these stadiums, they're outdoor stadiums, you know? So you're standing outside under some small part of the bleachers in the rain, and you're looking around, and like suddenly everybody's a meteorologist. Oh my God. Well, look at this green blob. Well, if this report's right, then it's going to clear up in 22 minutes. But oh, well, I'm on this app, and this thing says this. It's just like it gets, it gets so out of control. And the frustration of like, we've played in this weather all night, and now arbitrarily in the middle of a batter, by the way, it's not like they hit. Uh, a half point in the inning, and they go, okay, well, we just did that half of an inning. Now that we just got through that, let's just take a break here. Nope. They play in it all night, and then in the middle of an inning, in the middle of a batter, they just decide, yeah, I guess I've just had enough of this, and and let's put the game on delay now. It's just like, (laughs) you just feel it. You just feel that energy. It's brutal. Now, something else I want to get to. And uh, and Graceffo, we've got this. I it sh- I hopefully I I put it in in the folder for you so you could go and play it. But there was something with Tua earlier this week that was like it was a shock. I mean, really, it was it was a shock because when you think about what Tua did this year with the Dolphins, and it was his first year, and and Tua was a guy that there was anticipation around him going pro. You know, there was this whole idea of if you're going to tank. Well, tank for Tua, right? Like, that was a thing. People said that. We've talked about that. Like, that was real because you saw this young guy at Alabama, steps in a national championship game in the middle of the game, saves the team, wins the championship. Like, to have a guy of that caliber that's now available in the draft, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? And the Dolphins went and got their guy. But he was disappointing last year. And we all know that. And I, I think anybody is is going to readily admit that. Even if you're a diehard Dolphins fan, you can't look at Tua's season and go, yes, this was a big success. I mean, he was tentative as could be. He's holding on to the ball. He's he's scared to put it down the field. So, hey, we're in a big spot. It's late in the game. Where's Ryan Fitzpatrick? Let's get him out there. And sure enough, he'd go and he'd make the plays and he'd win the game. So it was a bad look. It was a bad look. It was a bad season. But we now got some clarity as to why. And so 
think about it. I mean, this young guy with a rough season, trade speculation all throughout the year last year, I think we got a good look into the window of how that all came about. Here's Tua. Last year, for for me, I, I, I wasn't as comfortable just in general. I wasn't comfortable calling plays. I think the guys that we had last year were were phenomenal. I, I just didn't have, you know, the comfortability of kind of checking plays, alerting plays, and, and doing that. I, I just rode with the play, even if I knew it in a way that it, it wasn't going to work. I was going to try to make it work still. Wow. I mean, on some level, he's lucky he's in Miami. Because I would figure the reaction to that in Miami versus a lot of other places, that ain't going to fly. I mean, can you imagine if he was in Chicago and that happened? Or, uh, I don't know. I mean, if he was in Philly, I'll tell you. That would be, <laughs> they'd be playing that every five seconds. Like, that would just be on loop for a month. I mean, we would we would be going nuts over that. There's just no way. But he's telling you, like you speculate at times about a quarterback not knowing the rule, uh, not knowing the playbook. He's telling you he didn't know. He's running plays in the games that he's not sure if they're going to work. He doesn't think they will. Like no wonder he's not throwing the ball down the field. He's like, yeah, his play kind of stinks. I don't think I should be throwing it down the field. I'd like even if he's open. If your tendency going into the play is you don't believe it's going to work. You're not seeing opportunities. You're seeing failures. Like, that was what he was doing last year. He lived in a negative mindset. And for him to go through a season like that, it's just, I don't know, man. I mean, do you chalk that up to the pandemic? Is that part of it? Do you just excuse it and go, well, it was a pandemic and the offseason. He didn't have it quite the same way. Rookie camps and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's okay. Like, I'm not going to bury Tua yet. You know, this isn't like the end of his career. And you can make that excuse, but man, he's got to be great this year. You know what I mean? Like the pressure, because the the window that you have as a quarterback to be a great player is already smaller by the year. Justin Herbert, you know what he is. Like you saw what he did. He looks great. Joe Burrow at this point, we've already seen some of Joe Burrow and you go, wow, he looked really great in the games that he played. You know, it's, it's just, you see guys pop at a young age almost right away because the league's built that way. And so for Tua to struggle last year, say he's got problems with the playbook and odds, it's just, it's not a good look. Not a good look. Now, Graceffo, I know I know you had seen all of this too. Like, how have you felt about Tua? Well, I mean, it's brutal honesty to a point of, like, it's faulty, right? I mean, it's one of those things where we all want the like it. We've all talked about this before. Yeah. We oh, all yeah. want the honesty, but when it's like, hey, don't say that, you know. <laughs> Uh, but on another level, it makes me wonder who was really making the decision to let this guy play last year. Because if you remember, Brian Flores didn't seem like when they made the announcement, Brian Flores didn't seem like he was overly like thrilled that <laughs> he was going to play Tua. Yeah. So you combine that with this. And it really makes you wonder, did Brian Flores make the decision to play this guy? Well, I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I was wondering about with this is, you know, Flores is a defensive head coach. So um, usually when you have this coach-quarterback combo and when you're hiring a new coach and you want a new quarterback, you go with an offensive guy. You know, it's like, let's yeah, get I mean, these guys that's, together. That's, tried, that's 
a theory. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, you could point out to where in Cincinnati that really hasn't worked. I mean, they really haven't. Well, yeah, they haven't really won anything. It doesn't always work, right? So, but I could point to the Jets that didn't really work. Um, you know, but, but being bad, I, I really don't the think, playbook. You know, I really it's don't, just, yeah, fair. I but I really don't think that you know the Brian Flores' background had anything to do with it. I think Brian Flores saw an opportunity last year where they were pretty good. They were, you know, they had some wins last year where they were pretty good. I mean, they were on the playoff bubble they on the last week of the season. They also had some losses where they were brutal. <laughs> and, you know, one of those at the end of the year where they had a chance to make the playoffs, Tua played. And the only reason Tua played is that Ryan Fitzpatrick got COVID. Like, he tested positive. There's no way that Ryan, Tua would have been out there the entire game down by 30 if Ryan Fitzpatrick had not tested positive. So he would have been benched a fourth time. When you add it into, he, he was benched three times. Flores wasn't overly, like, ex- like when you're rolling out the red carpet for this guy that you said you wanted, I mean, every Dolphin fan in the world, before the season started, said so they wanted this guy. When you roll out the red carpet for this guy, and the head coach is like, he, he's giving you the vibe of, like, I would have rather played Ryan Fitzpatrick, it makes you, like, again, it makes you think that was the decision made for him. And it probably was. And it, it probably was. And it, and Tua confirmed that he obviously was not 100% ready to take on the uh, the the role of being an NFL starter yet. Yeah, because I would just want to know why. You know, if it's going to be, hey, well, I didn't learn the playbook fully and I wasn't, like, quite comfortable with the plays. Like, you can say that, and I don't mind that honesty, but I just want to know why. Like, why didn't you know all the plays? Was it too much information? It Was it, was it not... Taught in a way that you quite well, got. Yeah. Like, what and was everyone it? everyone seems to forget this, but Brian Flores is on his third offensive coordinator already. So, they, I mean, I don't know if you want to... I mean, I'm not going to speak for them. I don't know what they're doing. But are they dumbing it down? I, I don't know. So, but when nobody, nobody even brings this up, that Brian Flores is on his third offensive coordinator in three years, and it's two, I think it's two guys splitting the job. This year. Oh, my God. That's what they're doing this I year? I think so. Oh, God. That's awful. But so, that's, that goes back to the whole thing with the defensive head coach, Brian right? Brian like, Flores has gotten a lot of bouquets for somebody who's 15 and 17 on their third offensive coordinator already with a guy who is unprepared to play. Like, let's put it like we – like let's call it – he was unprepared to play last year. Well, yeah. And he and just th- confirmed it. This is what happens is a lot of times these defensive coaches, that's their, that's their focus. That's what they do. So they're on that side. They get a coordinator. And if you can't find that guy – and that's the, like having a quality offensive coordinator is so crazy underrated. And if you have a window where your staff is really good – that's almost as important as having a good roster, right? Like, you need the coaches to make those play calls, to teach your guys to run a system. And when you don't have that, everything falls apart. You know, it's keeping those coaches in place matters. Because for me, again, like, all the years that I saw things, for example, Andy Reid and his coaching staffs and all the coaches over the years, I mean, uh, John Harbaugh was on his coaching staff. Brad Childers, who had been a head coach at a couple of places. Marty Morningweg, who had been a head coach at different places. Like, uh, Jim Johnson was his defensive coordinator and was great. Like, he had an amazing staff. They went to NFC Championship games five times. Like, that's a great coaching staff, and that's what it does. And if you can't identify that guy on the offensive side of the ball, or you identify that guy and you lose him, and now you've got to replace him. Like, that makes such a dramatic difference. The Atlanta Falcons, when they lost Kyle Shanahan, not the same team. Not the same team. 
Shanahan was the brains of the operation. He's what made that thing go. That was Matt Ryan MVP. And since then, not the same. And now Dan Quinn's out. They had to make that change. So, like, looking at two in the situation that he's in, yeah, changing coordinators is, is certainly not going to help. Or, or maybe it does. Like, maybe the coordinator identified last year. Maybe he couldn't teach a system well. Maybe Tua didn't understand what he was talking about because he wasn't good at the job. I don't know. But it's just that's the kind of thing that does happen when you don't have that relationship of here's your offensive head coach. His job is essentially build the quarterback. We're bringing you in to work with the young guy and build the quarterback. I don't want to say it's the only way to do it, but it is hard as a defensive guy. It's, it's harder to develop that quarterback. And for Tua, he clearly hasn't gotten the development. So... Interesting. Very interesting stuff. 855-212-4227. Let's go to Allen in Toronto. Allen, you're on CBS Sports Radio. What's going on? Yesterday's game between uh, Cleveland and Toronto, it was postponed 54 degrees, and it was bright sunny, and uh, it, they should have played it because it was uh, it was windy already. It was a bit blustery, but not as bad as... Uh, not as bad as Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Friday night. So they, they should have played it. Now Cleveland has to play two double headers back to back. Brutal. So they, oh man, they don't. Uh... Also, uh, I, I'd like to talk about the intentional walk. I don't like that dugout uh, four figures because a lot can happen. They should never abolish it too. That goes to show you Rob Manfred is clueless because uh, a lot can happen. You know, I've, I've seen a man. Try to steal home. It could be a balk, a wild pitch, a pass balls, you know, and uh, mm. a, a lot can happen on the intentional walk. And that's that's how clueless uh, Rob Manfred is. They should never, they should never abolish it. You know? Well, yeah, they just and, don't have clear answers. That's the thing. It's because they're just they don't have a clear solution, a clear plan of what to do. And so because of that, they're just trying stuff. They're just like, yeah, let's see what this looks like. Let's see what this looks like. Let's add this rule. Let's add that rule. And they just make all these changes and hope it works. But it doesn't seem to be working. Also, six umpires, too. It goes to show you that they're hypocritical because you need six umpires all the time. A ball could be fair by inches, foul by inches. Where did it cross the foul pole? Did it cross it on the left side or the right side? And there could be a trap ball, too. You know, you don't know. Left field line near the warning track, it could be a trap ball somewhere. Left field line, right field line. So they're hypocritical. You need six umpires all the time. Well, the the officiating problems are a whole other ball game, and, and Al and I appreciate it. So if you do want to get in, 855-212-4227. That's how you join the show. 855 212 4227. Soon all of your umpires will be robots anyway. They, they're going to make a robot Joe West, and robot Joe West is going to do games for the next 100 years. Our grandchildren, our great great grandchildren, will talk about robot Joe West with the same disdain that we have for the real Joe West. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> All right, now, I, now I'm very excited about Robot Joe West. I've actually, now now I enjoy the idea. If it's, okay, this is now a Twitter poll. Well, let's hold on, let's hold on, let me, let me get this up here. All right, Robot Joe West, yes or no? That is the question. Do people actually think physical robots are going to be on the field, bud? I, I don't care. I'll, I'll, oh, as I'm long at, as there's I'm a at, Robot I'm Joe West. I'm genuinely asking you. I mean, I... Th- well, yes, I think certain people think that. Is that the Again, reality? No. no. The reality no. is a camera will process the information on the computer that will, you know what I mean? It's not like 
Yeah, here's uh, Johnny Five at second robot base. Robot umpires. Can I can I ask you that one? Wait, what about robot? I was why yelling about pe- Johnny why Five. Why do people use the phrase robot? Why? Well, I don't why? know. I mean, technically, you should say what computer umpires. Computerized umpiring. Yeah. Yes, computerized umpiring. I guess yes. would be would be the phrase. Literally, guys will, and you would never know it if somebody if they did it in a game today, you would never know it if they had somebody. Reading off, you know, a monitor where, you know, pitches are by radar and they just buzz an umpire, ball strike. You would never know. You would never know. No. No. You would know because, I mean, the Astros did it to perfection with a buzzer. So. Right. <laughs> right. So the umpire will stand there. He will stand there. He won't lose his job. I don't know why they're so afraid. They're, they're afraid they're going lo- to lose their job, their jobs. But I don't know why they're so afraid. Literally everything will be done for them. Why are they afraid to lose? Why, why are they afraid? Well. You're still going to stand there. You're still going to call out or safe at the you plate. You do need someone to announce the results you're of st- whatever's been calculated. You're still going to call check swing. You're still going to make all these calls. But they're, they're afraid that, you know, they're going to be marginalized. But meanwhile, they're going to be able to stand there the whole time. And the burden of calling balls and strikes will be lifted from them. If anything, it's going to, yeah, I guess it's going to be an easier game. They'll make the job easier. But yeah. they're hesitant. I don't understand. Yeah, no, it's a good thought. It's a good point. So, and imme- and immediately your games will be faster because there will be one uniform strike zone. None of this garbage where this umpire calls this pitch and this umpire calls that pitch. That's garbage. The strike zone should be the strike zone. Yeah, and the, your games will be quicker because the, the strike, strike zone, zone is the strike zone. It's crazy, man. How much it changed because that would be one of the I would imagine one of the most infuriating things. And and that's why these guys do get so ticked off because from game to game and sometimes Early in the game versus later in the game. You know, it's just the way these people officiate is going to change. It's hard to call balls and strikes as it is. But, you know, you just want to see it done better. So, Robot Joe West, yes or no? You can vote it. It's Vince Quinn. Now, 855 <laughs> 2 